Welcome to Kai Alpha Wednesday Night Live. This is exciting. Those of you who are here and joining us online, I've never said that before. It's kind of fun to say. Um, all, all three people listening. Uh, but first, before we get into these things, just wanted to give you a couple updates, a couple reminders. The first one is put this on your calendars. January 9th or 7th through 9th. It's in St. Louis. I know it's a long ways away in your brain. Um, that date is incorrect because that says 2021. That is not a correct date. And I just pulled this off the national website. So that's awkward. Um, but I'll, I missed it. Put it in your calendars. You all missed it already. That's okay. But have that. Um, I, we talked about the dates last week. Um, if you need those, come talk to me. If you want one of these wonderful bracelets to remind you to think about it and stuff, come talk to me. We've got a bunch of extra of those as well. Uh, the next thing, um, how many of you had pen pals when you were in elementary school? Yes. Did any of you have pen pals? We're like, you, you write a letter to some dude in like South America or some, some girl in South America or something like that or Europe or something. So in my day, you actually had to send these letters. Like it wasn't like an email, which is fantastic. And then your day would have been like email-ish, something like that. And then eventually we message each other on Facebook or whatever it is that you guys do, all you cool cats. Anyway, so modern, modern, modern day pen pal. We will be having a conversation with uh, some good friends of ours in Albania, which is the country just north of Greece uh, on the Adriatic Sea. It's a beautiful country, um, but I encourage you to be part of this. Um, it'll be at our house. We'll hang out at our house, the few of us. I'm assuming since it's over spring break, a lot of you may not be here. That's totally fine. Um, but we're going to just have a conversation for about an hour really with students who are doing the exact same thing you're doing only on the other side of the world. Uh, you will not speak the same language. They will do their best to speak English, um, but that's only because we're Americans and we were never told that we were required to speak another language, so we never learned another language. Some of you are like, I'm fluent in Spanish or French. That's great, congratulations. Uh, I took you know, one, one year of German and my sophomore year of high school or something like that. Yeah. That's about all I got. But that's happening um, on March 20th, which is not this Saturday, but the following Saturday. Because of one of their big reasons is because we will not be actually taking a trip there this summer as a missions trip. Now, something you should also be aware of, not this May, but the coming May, May of 2022, we will be planning a missions trip. It'll be 14 days. Um, in country, so it'll be about a 16-day trip. Uh, we will be in Albania. We're going to go back to Albania. That is our goal, to go back. Um, it's not an expensive trip. Um, once we figure out the details as far as prices go, when you hear that price, that's going to be like 26, 2800. You're going to be like, what? Don't freak out. Um, I literally raise funds for a living, and so we can we can talk about how to do this. I'm. My livelihood requires that I'm at least decent at this. So uh, that'll be coming up. We'll have more information about that, obviously, in the fall of next year, which is crazy. So we're going to dive right into our Genesis to Jesus series. This is actually going to be our last night um, on this particular topic. I know. It's actually been a lot of fun. There's a whole lot of stuff um, about the Tower of Babel and uh, Abram and Abraham that I could continue on with. 
But there are some other things that we really want to kind of talk about before the end of the year. Uh, would love to share with you uh, and excited that'll start obviously after spring break. No Chi Alpha next week. I know, spring break. I know, it's, it's a bummer. But oftentimes when we look in the book of Genesis, especially at the story of Noah, we think that this God that is in the Bible, just a few chapters in, just starting in chapter 6, this God is vengeful. Like we've talked about this with Adam and Eve, and he's like, wow, he kicked him out of the garden. And then we talked about this with Cain and Abel, and it was like, wow, Cain was kicked out of God's presence. Oh, man. And then we talked about it again. Oh, we didn't yet, but with Noah. Uh, we're getting ready to talk about it with Noah, and it's like, what in the world is going on? So, uh, but we need to know these facts. These are facts, okay? And uh, yes, I did take this directly from the Bible Project because I think it's an amazing statement. But the Bible is a unified story that points us to Jesus. We need to understand that that even though we can start in the very beginning of the book and we can read these attributes of God and sometimes we can read them and think, this God is angry, this God is mad. But wait a minute, that God from Genesis chapter 1 is also the same God in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The same God who, who teaches and preaches love and preaches love your enemies. Um, and that's, that's weird for us to actually put together in our minds. But we must not simply read the Bible, but we must, uh, we must allow the Bible to read us. What that means is when we're reading Scripture, we cannot read it for the sake of the story. Like, that's a good thing to read it for the sake of the story sometimes. Okay, they're really cool stories. But also, what's, what's in my life that God is trying to speak to me through this story in Scripture? So like I said, Genesis, especially the, the, the story of Noah we often look at it as this very vengeful God. So I have this, this is not real. Here's Moses, Moses, <laughs> nope, that's Noah. Okay, <laughs> tricked you, gotcha, all right. So that's, that's Noah doing his thing and there's the door on the side that says, remember, sometimes when God closes a door, he kills everybody else. <laughs> but we oftentimes, <coughs> sorry, I love this one, this is great. Uh, I love this. Sometimes when God closes a door, he kills everyone else. Um, you can use that as a wonderful teaching tool for your friends. Um, this is not actually the story of Noah. But this is oftentimes what we look at it like. Like, wow, God killed everybody else. What a rude and hateful and vengeful God. But that's how we look at that story. It's like, wow, what in the world? How did God send this flood to kill everyone? So we're going to look at just three characteristics of God that are actually going on in this story that help us recognize that the God of the Old Testament, the God of Genesis, is still the same God that sent his son in the New Testament to die for our sins. All right, this is the account beginning in chapter 6, verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close relationship with God. Noah was the father of three sons. Shem, Hem, and Japheth, which is a very fun name. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. You got to pay attention to what's going on. Remember, if this is supposed to be a literature in the, in the Israeli or in the Jewish culture that we're supposed to meditate on, we're supposed to really quickly connect the dots when there's things that repeat themselves. So watch for this, this point where it talks about how violent the world is. God observed all this corruption in the world for everyone on earth was corrupt. 
One sentence, lots of corruptedness. Fantastic. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. There it is again, corruption and violence. Now really quickly, who is corrupt and violent? It's not God in this story. It's not. It's the people on earth. Noah is the only person found on the entire planet that was walking with God. The only one. The only one. Some of you are like, wow, I kind of feel that way sometimes walking around Ottawa University or whatever. I don't know. Um, <coughs> oh, stop it. Uh, yes, I will wipe them out or wipe them all out along with the earth. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Live in leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Why? Because you're going to be in there with a bunch of animals. It's going to stank, and you're going to want some fresh air. Uh, I'm not kidding. Why else would you do this? Why else would you do this? You've got this overhang, and God's like, okay, it's going to be nasty up in there. You can be in there for a while. Let's get some fresh air, some breeze blowing in through there. Uh, put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. It's a good thing he explained that to Noah. Uh, oh, that's what three decks look like. Okay, look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. Like, that's a, that's a, a breathtaking verse. And we should look at that and go, dude... That's awesome because he's talking about the corruption and the violence that's going on on the earth at this time. And it's like, what in the world? And God's like, okay, Noah, you're the only righteous person. Here's what's fantastic. It doesn't say his sons were righteous. It doesn't say his wife was righteous. It says, Noah, that's it. The only person righteous. And yet because of his righteousness, because of his faith, his entire family was saved, which is actually very important uh, something very important for us to hang on to. Maybe you've got a lost father or mother or brother or sister or aunt or uncle or cousin, somebody that you're close to. Maybe you're not even a blood relative, but somebody you consider a brother or a sister. Not that your faith will save them, per se, like no Moses, Noah, good grief. I've got to stop messing that up, like Noah and his family. But that through your faith, through you reflecting Jesus on a daily basis, that's the potential for them also seeing Jesus and following him. It's awesome. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, male and female, into the boat with you to, and keep them alive during the flood. I, there had to have been some times where, I don't know, maybe they didn't know what steak was. But could you imagine him walking by the cows being like, man, we've been on here a long time. You look tasty. Um, but then God said, hang on, I can't do that because God told me to keep you alive. Whatever. Pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground um, will come to you to be kept alive. And be sure to take them on board or take on board enough food for you and your family and for all the animals. That's a lot of food, man. That's a lot of food. So Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. That is an awesome statement as well. Moses did everything exactly as God commanded him. Now, this wasn't like a really quick project, like, oh no, 
I was told about this project and we just had midterms last week um, and it's due at the end of the semester. Yeah, right? Like all of you in here. Oh, that's due tomorrow? Uh, if only I had two months to work on it. Anyway, uh, but Noah did everything as God commanded him, exactly as God commanded him. He was like, well, you said 450 feet. You know, I kind of want a pool. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to extend it another 50 feet so I can have a little jacuzzi up here. Uh, you, know, Mo you know, Moses, my goodness, I got to stop doing that. I, I, I got I to stop doing that. Noah, there we go. Uh, Noah didn't know what a jacuzzi was anyway. Uh, but Noah, Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. Just a really quick, this is for free kind of a statement. Can God say that about you? Would God say, would, would Moses, who's writing all this down, so that time was correct, Moses is writing this down. Would he, as he's writing with the inspiration of God, would he be able to put your name in there and write? So, boom, did everything exactly as God commanded. All right, move on. The God who caused the flood in Genesis is the same God in the New Testament. The exact same God. We're going to look at three attributes, and I'm going to prove it to you over these three attributes that this God in the New Testament that we often think caused this terrible, terrible flood and wiped everybody out, how dare he, <coughs> pardon me, is actually, he's the same God in the New Testament. Okay, the first one, God is patient. This is super, super important. So if you've been paying attention at all for the last several weeks, we did Genesis chapter 1, Chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and now chapter 6. Chapter 5. If you are ever tired, um, or if you really like algebra, or just simple math, actually not algebra, if ever you are tired, just read chapter 5 several times. This person lived this long, or had this son, and then his son lived this long, and had this son, and then his son lived this long and had this son. And then his son <laughs> lived this long and had this son. It's a wonderful, fun time. So all of chapter five is this list of people from Adam, the, the end, well, whatever, uh, from Adam all the way to Noah. You don't have to do the math, I already did it. Those of you who have your calculators out. Genesis 5 records over 1,050 years between Adam and Noah. So for 1,050 years, people are doing whatever the crap they want to and not serving God. God's patient, y'all. If you remember from last week, Cain, like he killed his brother and wasn't actually sorry for it. He was sorry he got caught. And so when God banished him, he was like, oh, it's too much. I don't want to be from your presence, but really, I don't want to be from your presence because somebody might kill me. <laughs> what? And so God's like, dude, whatever. Nobody's going to kill you. And so he goes on and has a son. And his son has a son. And that son is really crazy and super violent. And he's the first one that we know of in scripture that has two wives. And he starts collecting them. Um, Hooray, wives. I will have these three. Um, and it just... So for a thousand, over a thousand years, man, violence and corruption, violence and corruption, violence and corruption, violence and corruption. 
goes on and on and on. And God does not destroy. God does not send this terrible punishment for over 1,050 years. God is patient. So if you get nothing out of chapter 5, that's what you should get out of chapter 5. God is so patient because He is so excited and so wants to have relationship with us that He is willing to wait and wait and wait, hoping, hoping that somebody chooses to turn to Him, hoping that somebody chooses to have a relationship with Him. Maybe it was 1,050 years before finally Noah decided to have a relationship with God. Because oftentimes when we read this, we're like, wow, you know, Adam and Eve probably walked with God, maybe, I don't know. But then after that, we have Cain, which his story isn't great. Um, then we meet Cain's other brother, Seth. Uh, we don't know a whole lot about him. There's all these other, obviously, chapter 5 is beget, beget, and had, and all these other things. But my question to you, oftentimes when I look at the story of Noah, it's like, wow, there used to be all these righteous people, and all of a sudden there's one. What if it took 1,050 years for there to be one righteous person? And that's what God was waiting for, because God is incredibly patient. I can promise you, I am not that patient. I'll go play golf sometime, and on the whole one, you will find out how just not patient I am. I, it won't be fun. It might be fun for you because you'll be, gig you'll be giggling at my golf swing. It's not as bad as Charles Barkley's, but, you know, whatever. Number two, God is love. So God is patient. Chapter five proves God is patient. And now we have God is love. Like, not kind of love, but God is love. Um, Genesis chapter 6, 5 and 6, we didn't, 5 and 6, we didn't read these earlier, but then the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. Do you remember the pattern of wickedness and violence and corruption? Then he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So God was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth, and the Bible says it broke his heart. So for over a thousand years, he's calling to humanity. Even in the garden that we talked about several weeks ago, even in their brokenness, God is still calling to them and trying to pull them back to him. Even then. And so for over a thousand years, he's continuing to, to be God and trying to have relationship with people and show them that there is a better way and a better life and life more abundantly. That verse from John 10.10 10 that we've discussed several times. But in Genesis 6.6, 6, it says that the violence of man broke his heart. And here's a statement you need to understand. You don't grieve for those you don't love. When somebody dies and you have no idea who they are, because people die every day, are you crying every day over their deaths? You don't know who they are. You just don't. Now, sometimes it gets a little closer because it's your roommate's grandpa or your uh, a teammate's mom or something along those lines. And that's a little bit easier to grieve for because you kind of have a connection. But like actual grief, like 
sorrow that brings you to your knees where you just don't know what to do anymore because your heart is broken. That only happens if you have a deep affection and love for that person. And Genesis 6, 6 tells us exactly that, that because of all the wickedness and the nonsense that was going on the earth, it broke God's heart. God takes no pleasure in our suffering. That's hard for us to, to think about sometimes. Like we can make that statement, God takes no pleasure in our suffering. But then when you're actually going through it, sometimes you wonder, you question, God, are you even there? God, do you actually care that I'm suffering? Do you care that, that I'm in pain, uh, whatever the, the pain is that's being caused? 99% of the time you cause it yourself, but we won't go down that road tonight. There's that one, maybe 2% where it's caused by other people, okay? But a lot of times it's decisions and choices that we make that lead us into these bummer of a things. Not saying that there are things that can happen to you, and I understand that, that feel like, what in the world, God, where are you? I, I don't understand this statement. God takes no pleasure in my suffering. If he doesn't take any pleasure in my suffering, then where the heck is he? great question it's a good thing to pray it's actually a great place to start when you're there to say God where are you because if you stop for a moment and listen he'll answer you read the book of Job it's fantastic and then all of a sudden when you really understand who God is he says shut your mouth stand there like a man let me tell you something were you there when I spun galaxies into orbit and then all of a sudden you go oh my problem's not that big. My God is so much bigger than this problem. I need to thank God for all that I have. Like it's a different way of thinking. It changes, it changes how we view who God is. God takes no pleasure in our suffering. Noah becomes a paradigm for the kind of leader we are awaiting, the righteous one in a wicked age who enters the water of death and comes out on the other side into a new creation bringing about a new covenant of peace and life. The ultimate consequence of sin wasn't expressed by the flood. Instead, it fell on Jesus at the cross. The flood was violent, but it wasn't the work of a violent God. Rather, this God took on flesh and died a violent death at the hands of violent, corrupt men. The, a death that became the very means he would use to save his enemies and usher in an eternal kingdom of peace. It's a direct quote from the Bible Project's website. I read that a couple days ago, and I was like, yes! Why am I preaching? I'll just have him read this. Uh, it's so good. So good. God is still obsessed with restoration. That's point three. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. God is obsessed with restoration. He's obsessed with it. For over a thousand years, he's trying to restore the human race into the fold, or he's trying to restore the human race into his family. And for a thousand years, the human race says, eh, I'll do it my way. I think I'll, I'll just, whatever. I'll do it my way. Until finally, said, you know what, God looks at the earth and, could you imagine that? There, everything they even thought about or imagined 
was corrupt and evil. Now, maybe you've been in a place, I, I, unfortunately, maybe I have, where I've read this verse or heard it or thought about this verse or whatever, I'm like, oh no, that's, I'm almost there. Uh, only thing, the only thing I can even think about or imagine is evil and corruption or whatever else. It's not, thank God. It's not. You should thank God as well. <laughs> but God is still obsessed with our restoration. He wants us to be part of the family of God. He wants us to be part of it. Now, one thing that's absolutely beautiful, I don't have this in the notes, but it just it's one of those beautiful things that parallels again with the New Testament, that you have this idea, or this story rather, in the Old Testament of the entire earth being submerged underwater and all of a sudden being brought back up with new life. And it's supposed to be a type of Christ. Noah is supposed to be a type of Christ. He's the guy that survived it, but he didn't go under. Then in the New Testament, we've got this guy named Jesus who goes and gets baptized, who is laid into the water and brought back up out of the water in, in the um, illustration of what was my old life being dead now and is being brought back up to Christ. How cool is that, that the Old Testament and the New Testament have these parallels? They're just beautiful. They're absolutely beautiful. All right. <clears throat> quote from Daniel Hawk, we are left with the sense that God is not so much sending the flood to punish the world as much as facilitating through the flood the inevitable descent into chaos caused by human destructiveness and violence. God ruins an already, that's supposed to be an un, an already ruined creation and in so doing creates conditions for the reordering and the renewal to take place. Because he gives Noah directions. You are going to be a type of Christ. Now, Noah is not a great character um, after the flood. Yeah, he gives sacrifices to God. So how bummer would it have been if you were that animal? Like you survived on the ark. And as soon as, as, soon as Noah lands, he's like, hey, we're sacrificing you, sucker. Uh, we're gonna, but then it says there's a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Like that's a cool statement too. But like, I survived the flood. Nope, not today. Um, <laughs> what a bummer. Um, so, <laughs> but God ruins an already ruined creation. Like, I've never thought that way before. Like, man was so corrupt, man was so violent, their hearts thought of nothing but evil and were corrupt all the time that for over a thousand years, God allowed them to do what they wanted to do. And then finally he was like, listen, this, I'm going to go ahead and accelerate what you're about to do. You're going to destroy the world. You're going to destroy each other anyway. So there's this Noah guy. He's righteous. So I'm going to tell him to build an ark and that there was rain coming. By the way, it had never once in the history of the world had rained up to this point. Water came up out of the ground. So telling somebody it's going to rain is like telling somebody, I don't even know how to describe that because obviously Noah had no idea what rain was. Up until this point, read, read scripture, up until this point, water came up out of the ground to, for, for crops and stuff like that. So it, it never rained, y'all. Like this would have been a weird, like what the crap? So think about if you were one of those people not on the boat and it started to rain, like um, <laughs> something is not correct. Right? How strange uh, is, is awesome. All right. <clears throat> In the entirety of the flood narrative, never once 
is God described as angry. Now, if you've been paying attention for the last five weeks, never once in the first six chapters of Genesis is God described as angry. He's, here's what's weird to me when you talk about this. It doesn't even show that he's angry with the serpent. What? But he's not angry with Adam and Eve. He's not angry at Cain. He killed his brother. He's, he's not angry even here. It's not until Exodus chapter 4 is the first time that God is ever described as angry. And that's because God appears to Moses at a burning bush and says, this is what you're going to do, son. And Moses goes, I don't think so, five times. And then it says, God got a little irritated. Uh, <laughs> huh. Which is really funny because Moses is the one writing all of this. Uh, and so he's like, God was mad at me. Uh, I don't know. That's, okay, that's not exactly right. Um, but for the first time we read that of God's anger is in, in Scripture is in Exodus chapter 4 when Moses gives five excuses as to why he can't do what God asked him to do. And then we back up to Genesis chapter 6 and it says Moses or Noah did everything exactly as God commanded. I wonder if when Moses was writing this down, he was like, that guy's a jerk. Because <laughs> God said I was angry and I'm going to have to write that down too. Or I made him angry or whatever. But this is actually a wonderful statement. This is a wonderful thing for us. Because God's not mad at you. He's not mad at you either. If God can be patient with the human race for over a thousand years, he can be patient with you for a little bit. He's not mad at you. This is such a weird thing for us to actually wrap our minds around. Because maybe right now you're in a place where you're like, you and God, you're good. You're good. But then there will be other times where there is stuff going on in your life or you are doing things where you may be thinking about evil and imagining evil or being corrupt all the time, and you may be thinking, God is mad at me. He's not. He's not. The God of the Old Testament that accelerated the destruction of the world with a flood, he did it in love after a thousand years of patience, and he did it because he was he desired restoration with the human race. Noah wasn't perfect after he did all those sacrifices. But the next thing he did was plant a vineyard, make wine, and got drunk. Um, like, I've been on a boat for 40 days. I don't know. That sounded really cool with the graspiness that's going on with my voice right now. That was awesome. I've been on a boat. <laughs> all right. Yeah, we'll find out what that sounds like on the podcast later. For all this time, hanging on a boat, he ends up getting drunk, and then one of his sons makes, makes fun of him because he's, he passes out naked. And so one of his sons is like, sons is like, ha look at dad, what a dummy. And the other two sons are like, nope, don't look at dad, let's cover him up. Um, and then it, it just, it, go, it goes back to the same narrative that we've read up until this point. So the first seven, well, first six chapters of the Bible is over a thousand years. At, well, at least a thousand years based off of the genealogy in chapter 5. At least a thousand years has gone by. And God is still trying to call to us, call to us, call to us. This is in Genesis, y'all. So, when we read this, 
For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. I hope over the last several weeks you're seeing this awesome parallel of Genesis and Jesus. Like, God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. This God adores you even when you're stupid and you're doing dumb things. Let's just call it what it is, even in the middle of your sin. Thank God, even in the middle of my sin, God is still wanting restoration. God is still pulling me and trying to draw me closer to Him. I know I've said this last several weeks, but never once have you pursued God with the, even close to the same intensity that He pursues you. It is impossible for you to do so. He would spend a thousand years trying to get you to come to Him. Like, that's an awesome statement. God's not mad at you in John 3.16, the most well-known verse, and 17, the most well-known verse, not in Christendom, but like in the entire world. Like for a long time, I don't know, a few years ago, you had football players that had the silly things under their eyes and said, John 3.16, they probably didn't know what it was, Uh, but they're football players. Sorry, Yvonne. Um, (laughs) They didn't know what it's, not because they didn't know John 3.16, is because they can't read, so they didn't know what John 3.16, Uh, I'm just kidding. I love you. Uh, (laughs) I'll have to edit that out of the podcast. Um, I'm not going to. Uh, But John 3, 16 and 17 is this beautiful verse. Now, if we understand it, that it is also, it's the same God in the Old Testament, the God from the beginning of this book to the end of this book. These two verses encompass that God. It's the same God that is pursuing you. It is the same God that is pursuing your roommate and your mom and your dad and your brother and sister and that weird uncle um, and your aunt. And I don't know why. Maybe you've got a weird aunt. Uh, Maybe you've got the weird brother. I don't know. Uh, But he's pursuing everybody on this planet. Like God's plan, God's goal is global domination. Like he's not okay with us four and no more. Because why from the very first week that we first started talking about this you and i and everybody else that is on this planet breathing and walking we have been created in his image and so because of that he wants to have relationship with us so john three sixteen, for god loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. That's why 17 is so important, because it's very easy for us to look at it and be like, God's here to judge, just like in the flood. Nah, not what went down. Not what went down. If you would stand with me, we are going to, like we have the last several, several evenings, several Wednesday nights, we're gonna, I'm going to ask that you spend a few moments in prayer. Uh, I'm just going to play one song over, over the sound system, turn it up a little bit. So if you want to talk, I do encourage you to actually vocally use your voice. More than when we were singing earlier. Not you, Amanda, you're good. Uh, 
We could hear you. That's what happens when you lead. Um, but I'm going to turn the music up loud enough, and I really do encourage you to actually use your voice. If you don't know how to pray, talk as if God were in this room. The exercise we do at the beginning of every Chi Alpha, talking about God is here, just that statement. If God is actually here, the creator of the universe, the God that back thousands and thousands of years ago flooded the whole world, but he did it out of love and patience and because he desires restoration, is the same God who sent his son 2,000 years ago because he is full of patience and love and desires restoration. That God is here in this room tonight. That's the same God that's also sitting beside you, laying beside you, whatever, in your dorm room. He's the same God chilling by you as you're driving to Lawrence. I don't know. Uh, or wherever it is you're going over spring break. Maybe that'll convict some of you. Be like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. God's here with me. Great. If that happens, if that happens, then I've done my job in doing that every single week. But if for the next few moments, I'm going to pause the podcast. So if you're listening, I thank you for listening to our first ever Wednesday Night Live. Love you, and I'll be praying for you.